You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Welcome back to the Horizons Church Podcast. You know the funny thing? Yeah. The minute you do that, they know I'm the other person. Man, you're <laughs> right. It's such a tell. Oh, no. <laughs> That's my worst nightmare. No. We were warned about this in all of my communication and really? preaching classes. Warned is a strong term, but we were encouraged to be aware of the tells that we have when oh, we're speaking okay. or preaching. As People, in poker, as in preaching. Yes, precisely. Oh, my word. That's exactly it. That's a, That was an analogy that was used numerous times. It's no big deal. I'm a professor now. <laughs> Ethan, honorary doctorate from Notre Dame. I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> Uh, well, obviously, I'm just sighing. That's Ethan. How you are doing? Apparently, I mean, you know that. Everyone knows that because of... They did click the podcast. I mean, yes, they clicked the <laughs> podcast. They heard the weird intro that I never do unless it's you. And they also heard your voice. Yeah. That's a pretty good tell. It your is. voice. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, that's it. So, anyway, we're on to the next episode of our creative commentary. And today, we're heading back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at the book of Joshua. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was trying to do the echo thing. We can there. do that in post Did these days. not. <laughs> we can do that in post these days. No, I want to make the sound effects with my own mouth. Okay. I have it. <laughs> no, so we're in the book of Joshua. Now, Joshua is at the end of the Pentateuch, obviously. <laughs> you could almost look at it as kind of the Pentateuch part six, actually. Really? Almost. It's really a pretty solid continuation okay. of the themes that were developed in the first five books. And it picks up literally right where Deuteronomy left off. Moses right. is dead, and Joshua, his young assistant, has been charged with yeah. the leadership of the nation of Israel. Hmm. Now, I'm guessing that there are a number of us who are listening who are familiar with the book of Joshua, and more specifically, familiar with the Battle of Jericho. Oh, yeah. That's and the that's one. the immediate thing that we probably affiliate the book of mm-hmm. Joshua with, is the Battle of Jericho. Very true. Probably the Veggie Tales rendition, no less. <laughs> no you know less. What talking about? They're marching around Jericho, and <laughs> the guys are they're like bouncing around. There's, yeah. there's no lakes. Yeah, there's no there's no lakes. You're right. That's an accurate observation. They're bouncing. They're they're walking talking vegetables, you know. And <laughs> the peas that are the enemy yeah. people of Jericho are throwing slushies at them. So it's very, racist. very It's not racist. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just I don't know why I had to make that joke. I would have landed the joke way better for our audience if I made a reference to like Money Python or something. But I squandered my opportunity. <gasps> Oh, I thought it was okay. well placed. We're friends. <laughs> yeah, there were no slushies no. at Jericho. <laughs> slushies had not yet been invented. What do you know? Anachronisms, veggie tales. Come on. Get with the times. But anyway, the point being, the Battle of Jericho is not the whole focus of yeah. Joshua. In fact, it's a pretty relatively minor piece really? of the book of Joshua, at least thematically speaking. It okay. takes up a bit of a chunk, and yeah. it is memorable, but we're going to get into this here in a minute, but it's thematically setting up a contrast oh. between how God responds when his people are faithful versus how he responds when his people are faithless. But we'll get okay. to that in a moment. <laughs> so as we mentioned, Joshua is really the continuation of the Pentateuch. You could look at it as a postscript for Deuteronomy. You could look at it as book six of the Pentateuch, which is kind of contradictory because Pentateuch, it's five. <laughs> but 
that's neither here nor there. What we're dealing with in Joshua, as you're reading through it, is primarily obedience to God Mm -hmm. and reception of the promises through that obedience. Okay. The offer of rest within the promised land. Mm -hmm. Right there on the cusp. They're about to go in. The beginning of Joshua, finally. And then the succession of godly leadership. This is one of the first times we really see that theme fleshed out and developed in Scripture. And it becomes an obviously very important recurring theme, especially throughout the legacy of the Israelite kings. And we're going to see that in the Judges. immediately to follow, yeah. Yeah, Judges, precisely. So Joshua thus provides us with a lot of concrete examples of what it looks like to be courageously obedient. Specifically, you're thinking they're going into battle against these pagan armies, and the command that you see issued pretty regularly throughout Joshua is, be strong and courageous, Mm -hmm. for I, the Lord, am with you. And as a final note, before we actually get into those themes that we've identified, I'm not going to flesh this one out, but Joshua does, of course, as all Old Testament books do in their own way, foreshadow the coming of a better Joshua. Right. As a matter of fact, the name Joshua, you say that in Hebrew, it's it's close to Yeshua, and you get in the Greek, Jesus, which is what we translate as Jesus. That's intense. So there's a lot of parallel there and a lot of foreshadowing, but that's just for fun. So just, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. So obedience and trust toward God. That is one of the major themes of the book of Joshua. Now, you've been coming out of a series of events in the nation's history, where they've been pretty disobedient. You've seen that over and over again since they were let out of Egypt. Not a great track record. It's depressing. Yeah. Like, as you read and think to yourself, my gosh, how hard could it be? He gave you... Okay, to be fair, there was a lot in the law. But you had 10 basic (laughs) commandments, really. And then when you got down to that, you had one great commandment. Yeah. Come on, guys. But they find ways to... Really dumb ways. Yeah, really dumb ways, like the golden calf. That was... that that was That's a glaring mark on that record. It really is. Definition of misstep. (laughs) Oh, boys, come on now. So Joshua, his generation is poised to actually go into the promised land and receive it, which is a brand new position Ooh, yeah. For the people of Israel. So it becomes very clear that they're going to have to step out in faith and obedience to God if they're going to continue to go into the land and not just remain on the cusp of it. Because, again, you remember earlier in the Pentateuch, they were on the cusp of going in. Yeah. And they got scared and they backed off. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the big reasons you have God encouraging Joshua and the Israelites, be courageous, I'm with you. And in the end, they actually don't even end up really doing any of the fighting, yeah. so to speak. It's not <laughs> It's not like they go in and get the promised land through their own strategic power and tactical might. It yeah. ends up being, hey, you obey me, I'll fulfill my promises, and I will do the fighting for you. So you see this concretely, it's specifically displayed and played out in the battles of Jericho and I, right? Jericho is set as a contrast to the Battle of Ai. We look at the Battle of Jericho, I think, typically and think, that's it, that's the big, great moment. But it's contrasted very shortly after with the Battle of Ai. Jericho, you see the obedience. Mm -hmm. They march around the city doing nothing, and they're just marching. How is that supposed to help you militarily against a fortified city? Fear tactics. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's about like, hey, we're just going to march around and... Actually, it's just more corny. Yeah, like... From the perspective of those in the city. Yeah. Like, you're standing on the wall looking like, what are these like, guys? Nice try. What is no, this there a- are no, you know, you have no siege ramps. You have <laughs> you have nothing. You're just walking around. But, of course, the result is, God says. Pretty cataclysmic for them. Yeah. We're going to bring the walls down, the trumpet blast on the seventh day. And we see there a demonstration of, here is what happens when you trust God. Mm-hmm. And he demonstrates, of course, he's demonstrated his grace all throughout. But as you trust him and follow him, he's going to do what he promised to do. And thus, this city comes toppling down. This mighty city that they did nothing except march around. 
So you have that on one hand, and then you have the Battle of Ai. God, of course, says you need to go in and you need to utterly destroy all their possessions. Like, you're not taking that. They're, they're defiled. These are defiled things, and you're going to, quote-unquote, consecrate them to me. You don't keep any of this stuff. Most of the Israelites obey this except for one tricky guy named... One guy. Achan. That, that's actually pretty remarkable. It is, in and of itself. Real talk, I feel like I would be susceptible. Oh, yeah, for sure, I would be. And you're looking at, like, all this gold and silver, I'm all this stuff. Strong. Thinking, like, what, a, what just a little bit. Like, look know? at this sculpture. Look how impressive it is. Yeah. What a shame to burn it. <laughs> and then I would do something real stupid that, that causes tragedy for that's, thousands. Yeah, and that's what ends up happening. Yeah. Aiken takes the stuff that he's not supposed to take, buries it, and the nation suffers disaster Goodness in their sake. next armed encounter. Now, I'm, I'm, I should have made sure I looked that specific order up because I'm a little fuzzy <laughs> on it. But he, he takes the stuff and it leads to disaster for the nation at their next armed encounter, point right, being. Right. And Joshua and the people are flummoxed, of course, because they're thinking, we've obeyed God, he's on our side. Like, he surely has not forsaken us. Right. Right? And everyone, you know, starts looking around and, you know. <laughs> and the one picture... person not looking around is Aiken. Yeah, like he's Aiken, like, yeah, like, nervous <laughs> drop of sweat. Like, we didn't take any of the stuff back to our tents. Right? <laughs> one <laughs> nervous sweat. drop of sweat. <laughs> sweat intensifies. <laughs> so what happens is, of course, they, they get to the bottom of it and they realize that Aiken has done this and God is like, he will further infect the camp and the people with sin. Like he will do yeah. to this nation what happened all throughout your wandering in the wilderness. So it does, it sounds very harsh to us, but like he has to be killed is, is what God's command <sighs> is. And you bear in mind, that does sound harsh. He does not do that often. I mean, this is one of the rare exceptions, mm -hmm. absolutely rare, where God looks at someone and he's like, that man has to die for It's not something done. done lightly. Yeah, and it's not something where God's just like, oh, well, you know, you look the wrong way. It, you know, so I'm going to kill you today. This is a very key moment, a turning point for the nation where they're actually going in, they're trusting God, they're obeying him for a change. Yeah. And if Aiken gets away, for lack of a better term, with this mm. thing, the nation then is tempted to think, well, why don't we do this every time yeah. we go conquer a people? So the point being, though, in Jericho, you see the results of God's faithfulness and the obedience of the people. And I and Aiken, you see what could happen and the pain it can cause to a nation yeah. if you are faithless before God and if you are not obedient. And so those are kind of set up, demonstrate, here's how each of those look. Now, the next theme is, of course, the offer of rest within the land. So the Israelites have been wandering for a Long time, oh, and they're yeah. ready to enter into the rest that God promised them when they would inherit this land, which is, of course, I think, an almost endless quest for us today. Yeah. We are on the hunt for rest. There's something inside of us, I think, that when I say at rest, I don't necessarily mean a lackadaisical yeah. I'm just going to do whatever right. I want and be lazy rest. And that's not what God meant either when he said, right. you're going to go into this land, you're going to have rest. I mean... Is it a sense of like peace in our time? Yeah, I think that's a better way of phrasing it. Peace in our time. And included in that, of course, is productivity and yeah. work and labor and doing difficult things even. Yeah, that's true. I, historically, when a nation or a people group, let's yep. just say, reach a point of safety and security, their arts begin to flourish. Yes. So, exactly. You know, it's an interesting parallel and yeah. perhaps is what you could expect from a nation at rest. Yeah, and they're eager for that. They're longing for that. And even going back to what you were saying, when you're at rest as a nation or a people group, your arts flourish and all kinds of good things yeah. can begin happening. And it kind of even goes back, I think, to God's original mandate to mankind in the Garden of Eden to, yeah, um, to take care of the earth, take care of creation mm -hmm. and cultivate it for the flourishing of yourselves, of these creatures that I've put here and the whole world. And that's the kind of rest. Yeah. 
I think that he's talking about. And of course, he has them set up by the end of the book to enter into that rest and live that kind of life, which of course is laid out in the law where God says, you know, I will bless you and you will have all you want and need. Land flowing with milk and honey is mm. the old terminology, you know. I'm about that. Yeah. And by the end of the book, actually, not even by the end of the book, in the middle of the book, you see the land beginning to get parsed out, which is one of the parts we're probably liable to skip over because it gets very much yeah. into the, and this tribe will have this land. Unless you have a map. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and here's the real thing. Like, if you want to engage that viscerally, grab a map and just look at it and let yourself, through your imagination, kind of imagine what it would be like to be coming into your homeland, this fabled land of promise that you've been waiting decades to inherit. And now you're at a place where you're going to be at rest and the cultivating of this place for the flourishing of your people is going to happen. Maps are actually very... Hmm. they they uh, That's just kind of an off... <laughs> topic kind of a thing but I mean, you know they, they give you a sense of where you are and how things operate and it's kind of cool to notice like if you look for instance at the distances Jesus walked from say one village to another and then you realize oh wait a minute that's the distance it is from Bridgeport to Clarksburg or something like that like giving you it gives you a real sense of spatial awareness and kind of makes it more real so yeah. maybe don't skip over those if you're reading Joshua like get a map out and take a look at them because the offer of rest is attached to the land and then finally the succession of godly leadership the mantle of leadership has to be passed on for Israel and for God's people in the priesthood, kingship, mm -hmm. the prophets, all of it, because no one of those leaders lives forever, right? Yeah. Moses died before he got into the promised land. So he had to pass the mantle of leadership onto a qualified and godly successor mm -hmm. who happened to be Joshua. Now, at the end of the book, Joshua, in his final speeches, calls the nation to continue in their obedience, and he calls them to continue to live as they've been living. And in fact, he has that famous phrase, do what you want, but as for me and my house, mm. we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve rest for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's more or less his final charge, his last yeah. words, so to speak, hmm. to the nation. But what he does not do that the text never faults him for explicitly, so I want to be careful about what I'm about to say. But what he does not do is he does not appoint a godly qualified successor yeah. to take on the mantle of leadership after he dies. And while his generation is still around, even after his death, they're fine. But the inevitable results of that misstep are catastrophic for the nation yeah. because what you get right after the book of Joshua, as you said earlier, is the book of Judges, Judges which is a total train wreck that we yeah. will have so much fun talking about. <laughs> Utter train wreck. And... One of the inevitable reasons that that happened to the nation is because they didn't have leaders mm -hmm. and they forgot God, they forgot his word, and they just did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't have a leader to call them back to say, hey, remember, we're serving the Lord here. This is what we've agreed to do. We've agreed to trust him and love him. And we're going to follow him. And that becomes a pretty key hinge for the nation and kind of, I don't want to say spells out their doom, but it really... It sets them up for failure in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it ends up becoming the anomaly and not the norm yeah. that a good godly leader is installed and leads the nation faithfully, which is very tragic and obviously obviously sets us up for a savior, but it's tragic and painful. <laughs> so those are the main themes of Joshua. That's it in its broad sweeping categories. What in the world, Ethan? <laughs> Where in the world do we we see themes like that developed? Well, before I set you up, I can have a pre-setup setup. setup. I, I love it. I love pre-setup setup. It's like a prequel not, to, a, <laughs> to a setup. 
<laughs> not redundant at all. But I do think most people are going to just naturally recognize the names of actors, you know, their favorite actor, before they would ever recognize the name of a director. Now, yeah, There that's are fair. exceptions to that, yeah. of course. But I do think that there's one director people may have heard of. It's not a sure thing, but you may be familiar with the name Wes Anderson. Yeah, I, I am anyway. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> I count. <laughs> I know Wes Anderson. Just in this room, I have a good audience for that pitch. <laughs> but he is responsible for films like The Life Aquatic, Moonrise Kingdom, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and even most recently, a film called Isle of Dogs, which yeah. is so charming. I want to see it so bad. Yeah, you do. <laughs> In fact, it was nominated for two Golden Globes as of just very recently. Oh, how cool. Um, and as of right now, we have not yet reached the Oscar season. So who knows? It, it might be showing up again. Yeah. But if you're familiar with any of these films, you're going to immediately notice that Wes Anderson has an incredibly particular visual style in everything that he makes. If you watch yeah. any two films, you'll feel it right away. And it's yeah, it's very arresting. It's in the meticulous framing and the color. I mean, every scene is like a carefully crafted painting. It's crazy. But I mean, now, it's amazing that he can do that. Like, you can look at something that quick and be like, I can't imagine. Like, it is. And in fact, his style of filmmaking has been the subject of study, um, mm. you know, by people who just love it, who love film, you know, who want to enter that industry or just understand it better. Like, and I understand why. Yeah. You know, it's very, very impressive. However, while I could spend the entire podcast talking about <laughs> it, the movie I'm actually getting at is one that's perhaps one of his most famous. Some would say his absolute best. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. It's even the name. It is fantastic. fantastic. And it's about a fox. Wow. I'm not, it's not even an allegory. Well, maybe it's an allegory, but it's not even a, it's not a misnomer because this is very much like a modern day fable, mm. I would call it. Yeah. I don't want to say fairy tale. That sounds too cheesy. But I it has this fable-like quality. But the entire movie, like I'm saying, we're, we're talking, talking animals, right? That's yeah. what we're talking. Yeah. I had to say the word seven more times. <laughs> Um, but it's stop motion animation, mm -hmm. which is wildly impressive. It means everything, the props and the scenes and the characters are handcrafted miniatures it's that insane. are meticulously posed for each frame. Yeah. Oh my word. Couldn't do it. It's very well done. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Very well done. But to go back to some of the things that we discussed previously, our setups are very similar. You have this leader, this principal character, which is, let's say, the leader of a tribe, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And there's this sense of perspective suit or eyes set on a promised land of sorts. Yeah. Now, the actual context of the film, he's simply the leader of his family, mm -hmm. his fox family. Ah, uh, yes. And as foxes are wont to do, they live in a hole. But this, it makes him feel poor. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I'm not a fox. <laughs> but it's voiced by George Clooney, so I'm not asking questions. That's <laughs> correct. But anyway, his eyes are set on living in a kind of tree home. This sounds corny. I know it does. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's how our story begins. He wants to live this better life, and essentially, in his eyes, that will bring him a sense of comfort and peace and accomplishment. He wants to live in that land of peace, to use the terms we've used yeah. previously. He wants to live at rest. Exactly. But it's a movie. How boring would it be? It would be 13 minutes, if that's all that happened. <laughs> Correct. Because <laughs> you get right into the action. The thing is, once they actually do find themselves with a tree, it doesn't take 40 years. It takes about four minutes mm. of screen time. 
from the tree, he can see the land of three farmers, notorious farmers of the land. You might as well call them Jericho. Uh-huh. I didn't make that connection until this minute. Yes! <laughs> but they're very notorious, cruel farmers. They have their own disciplines, such as uh, geese or chickens or apple cider. Those exact things, in fact. <laughs> I'm quoting the specific details. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Here's the wrench. Mr. Fox here, George Clooney himself, is a reformed criminal. Ah! Uh. Uh, a chicken thief, as mm. as you would expect. Of course, because he's a fox. <laughs> so, I mean, he's he's reformed, you know, for the sake of his family. But boy, he can't help but pick a fight with these farmers. And so he goes back to his old ways. But what this quickly reaps is collateral damage. And not just for his immediate family, for his friends and neighbors. It puts them all at risk. Yeah. Oh, my word. Aiken. Yes. Yeah, I'm just doing this right now. <laughs> this is happening live. <laughs> so yeah, it, very quickly it results in collateral damage, and therein ensues the craziness of the plot and the pursuit to kind of right these wrongs. Because that's what it ends up being. Because at this point in the film, he's a leader of more than his family. He's kind of taken on the mantle to lead this strange band of misfits. Oh, yes. And in a sense, he has to step up to correct the path, his own path here, his own missteps for the sake of his tribe, which at this point is much larger than his own extended family. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything for you here, but there are, the more I talk about this, the more creeped out I am that there are similar. I mean, there's like an analogous conflict that's like a pivotal point in the film um, mm-hmm. as to whether or not you see them prosper. Yeah. But I uh, I cannot spoil this information <laughs> because truly, I mean, it's so worth watching. And, yeah. and unlike some things that are a bit intense or maybe controversial, nah, that's extreme. Or just a matter of taste that we might talk about. Yeah. This, I mean, I would sit my kids down to watch this. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it is a modern day Aesop's fables, but better. Take that, Aesop. Wow. He's not a friend of the show. <laughs> Wes Anderson, though, friend yeah. of the show. Shout out to you. <laughs> Aesop, you old coot with your fables of thousands <laughs> of years ago. But yeah, that's kind of the setup. And it's pretty crazy that even as we were talking, mm-hmm. the connections between yeah. those two were being drawn. Yeah. Like that clearly. I did not know. I watched it last night <laughs> just to make sure that I wasn't making up memories. <laughs> but for real, that, you know, I didn't even notice until now. Yeah. Wow. See, we can all be amazed at the similarities <laughs> between certain Types of literature and cultural artifices. Is that yeah. the word that we ended up using? We did. Way I mean, back when. Was it accurate? Eh, maybe I don't not. think so. It eh. was not, but I've stuck eh. with it and exactly. I'm sticking to it. Exactly. Another thing, uh, you know, actually, this is off track, but whatever. I said George Clooney. Yeah. Was the lead. But like all Wes Anderson films, miraculously, you have an overwhelming cast of top shelf actors. Yeah. In the film, his wife is voiced by none other than Meryl Streep. Of course. Award winning Meryl Streep. Bill Murray, a frequent return to Wes Anderson's films. Wes Anderson himself voices a character, as does, oh, you're going to love this, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe! He's something of a scientist himself. <laughs> callback. I'm so glad we could make that callback. Yes. But yeah, it's so charming, really. I can't recommend it enough. And you haven't seen it. I've not, so I've got a movie to add to my list. Yeah, you do. Of cultural artifices. The Book watch. of Joshua, the, the movie. The Book of Joshua, the movie. No, it is, there are some, you're going to notice right away there are some stark differences. That's, yes, that's, <laughs> but be amazed at some of the similarities. And yeah. How those themes just, they just end up drawn out everywhere. It's fascinating. It's very true. And I, mean, I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh. You set up a leader with responsibility over a people and whew, stuff's going to happen. Stuff is definitely going to happen happen freaks me out does it oh it does maybe one day (laughs) not me Uh, oh well that was fun
It was. It was fun. It was good content, in my humble opinion. I realize that sounds really arrogant to say when you're the podcast host, mm. say. Because I know content. you on a personal level, I feel the, the genuine nature. And not even like an objective comment on our abilities. I just feel like, oh, that, no, was, that, was, right. you know, that was fun stuff. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I'm done talking now. Send your questions to podcast. At horizonschurch.net. Bingo. Oh, we did that so Got well. him. <laughs> or interact with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. And we'll catch you next time. See yes, you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.